0: So, Lord, as we um, had time to just look at a picture you left for us in your broken body and your shed blood, and as we um, sang and enjoyed it, uh, Lord, I know that there are people sitting in this room who are struggling with taking that next step, just kind of at the end of the rope. So, Lord, I pray that you and your spirit would reach deep into the depths of their hearts and remind them of what it is you've done for them. May they have a fresh understanding of what we have in Jesus Christ. May each of us have that fresh understanding so that we might live a life um, that is pleasing to you, acceptable to you, and successful as the way you define success. It's in Jesus' name I pray amen amen please go ahead and have a seat Whew. it's been an okay morning i guess <laughs> um yeah i can go off on a couple of rabbit trails i'm fascinated that one of the things that fascinates me is watching the process kind of unfurl um as as the beginning of the week and and as songs are chosen and as pieces get thrown together and And how God regularly makes it clear that he's the one in control of this and not us. I mean, it's been it's been encouraging this week. So uh, I am excited. Uh, you will pick up on that very soon. I am really excited about starting this this summer series together, walking through the Book of Proverbs together. We are not going to do every chapter, every verse. We're actually going to uh, look at some of the proverbs that you, the congregation of Uniontown Bible Church, uh, asked about, or commented on, or said, "Hey, this is my favorite one." So we we kind of. Um, compiled a list of the ones that you mentioned to a Facebook post that we had put out a few months back, and and so that's kind of set the course for our preaching series uh, this summer. And and what we titled it is what I'd like for us to focus on in particular today, and it's wisdom, the way of wisdom. In an age of Google, there's a danger that everybody thinks that they have wisdom. They do not. In fact, most people just have fast fingers and a good internet connection. Um, but that's, that's not wisdom. And, and just because you have answers to certain problems doesn't mean that you're wise either. So, so being on Jeopardy doesn't mean you're the smartest person. You're not the person who's marked with wisdom. Being successful as you sit and, and are able to answer all of Jeopardy's questions does not mean that you're wise. It just means you didn't have friends when you were younger. That's all. And you, that's all it means. <laughs> but real wisdom doesn't get you an A. Um, it changes the way that you live, and that's kind of where we're diving in. So the next ten weeks, that's what we're going to look at. And there's there's no better place than Proverbs to try to figure out what what wisdom is. Just, I mean, this is going to be a real um, junior varsity level background of the Book of Proverbs. Okay, this is this is okay. Here you go. It was written by Solomon, the wisest man in all the world. First Kings chapter four says that Solomon has written uh, more than 3,000 different Proverbs. And so the book of Proverbs compiles them, and, and Solomon is responsible for all the writing of the book of Proverbs, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, going all the way through uh, chapter 29, Chapter 30 is written by a fellow named Agur and 31 is written by a fellow named Lemuel and so that's that's kind of what you have a proverb is a is a statement or a saying that is supposed to trigger some thought some response in your head and in your heart You're supposed to be able to pick it up and look at it from different, different few different angles to try to comprehend and, and, and wrap your head around the book of proverbs itself is pieced together like this the first 9 chapters of proverbs is like a any other book of the bible that you would read it kind of goes together each verse to verse throughout those first nine chapters, you get to chapter 10, and, and we'll just call it, because it's, it's, you know what it is now, a tweet storm. Chapter 10 through the end of chapter 31, it's just individual thoughts, and some of them don't even align with the very next verse, and some of them actually do. So it, it, makes, a, it makes it particularly interesting to read through that, that book. So what I want to do today is I want for us to start by defining, I mean, it's a good idea, if we're going to talk about the way of wisdom, we should define what wisdom actually is. Uh, and, and to define wisdom, it gets a little difficult. You get a better idea if you get some pictures. I'm a picture kind of guy. I don't know if you're a picture people, um, but, but Proverbs actually does that in the first six verses of chapter one. It paints a picture of what wisdom is. is. It layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, and then you can kind of step back, look at that, and get an idea of, of what um, wisdom is. So let's start reading in verse, verse one. I'll read verses one through six, and then we'll walk back through it. Proverbs chapter one verse one, it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. For learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man, let a wise person listen and increase learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. So let's unpack that a little bit. You start in verse 2 and you, you start talking about, so what is this this whole idea of wisdom? Wisdom is, is described in a number of different ways. And, and I think these are adjectives that kind of you know dovetail into wisdom. The first is this. Wisdom is a part of wisdom. A picture of wisdom is discipline. See that in verse 2, learning wisdom and discipline. The idea behind discipline is learning um through failures, through correction. Obviously, when you think discipline, you should think children and parents. At some point, your mom or dad probably told you it wasn't a good idea to play in traffic. At some point, mom or dad may have jokingly said to another child in the neighborhood that they might suggest perhaps playing in traffic. Um, depends on how evil your moms and dads were. I'll not make any comments on that one. Um, When you learn through correction, you learn through instruction, you learn through failures. One of the greatest stories uh, in my own, there's a lot of failures in my life, so if I was to rank them, it'd be like, you can't rank all these, it just doesn't work, they're all number one. Um, I was a seventh grade student, so I was 12 years old, um, through a lot of different circumstances. At some point I may actually go into my testimony and story, but through a a number of different circumstances, I uh, moved out of my house when I was 12 and moved into a boy's dormitory where I attended a private school. I lived with, uh, at the time that I got there, there was probably 50 or 60 different young men aged 12 to 18 who lived in the dorm. And so I didn't have any brothers go, growing up to that point. And then all of a sudden, that's all I had were brothers. And I was the little brother. So you know how that goes. Um, relentless. But one of the things that I needed to learn, and I'm thankful that my, I, I had um, a desire to learn this because I've met some other 12 year olds who may not have the same desire. I had to learn how to do laundry as a 12 year old. So, now just for a moment, if you have a 12 year old at home, just imagine them being responsible for your entire family's laundry and what that ends up like. And that's pretty much my first load of laundry. Um, my dorm supervisor at the time, Randy Wickline, was standing down the end of a, of a, a hallway. When I walked out from the laundry room after doing my first load of laundry, I'd walked in my room, had my laundry basket, and I heard him talking, and I walked into my room, <laughs> and I started taking things out of my laundry basket to fold, and I had a sweater, and I pulled this sweater out, and I have no idea to this day what I did wrong. Obviously, I put it in the dryer. I'm told that's not the accurate way to do things, but when you put a sweater in the dryer, it's supposed to shrink, right? Oh, No. I put my sweater in the dryer, and when I pulled it out, the body of the sweater had shrunk. The arms, like, tripled in length. So I pulled this thing out, and Randy Wickland was down the end of the hall, and I still, uh, to this moment, I can remember him leaning on the wall trying to stand up because he was laughing so hard, and then he had his wife talk to me at lunch the next day and, and explain to me how laundry is supposed to be done. Another valuable lesson that I learned. I used to wear contact lenses. And when I would, uh, one of my favorite treats uh, involved jalapenos. I love a good jalapeno. And so I would be cutting up jalapenos and I would, would wrap them and bake them, stuff them with chicken, whew, smoke them on the grill. They are amazing. But I learned a valuable lesson. After working with jalapenos all day long, cutting them up, using my hands to get them, don't take your contacts out at night. But here's the crazy part that's not even the worst thing. You take your contacts out and it stings for a minute. And you're like, Whoo, okay, all right, that was dumb. And then what do you do with your contacts? You stick them in little bowls that, where they can soak overnight in saline and jalapeno juice. <laughs> so the next morning, you're like, all right, I'm you're barely awake and you stick it in your eye. You're just like, ah, valuable lessons learned. And I'm making light of it, but that really is the picture that's being pitched here by Solomon. He's saying, listen, you, you need to learn through discipline. Learn through from your mistakes. Can I tell you that's one area in our culture today that we fail miserably? We're good at making mistakes. We just oftentimes refuse to learn the hard lessons that we should learn from them. He continues, he says, discipline. Then he says, for understanding insightful sayings. This is understanding words of insight. This is the word that we would use today, discernment. The idea to comprehend, to understand the ins and outs of these things that are being said and and to understand them very well. It's the ability to skillfully react to ideas that are being pitched at you and to be able to know what's right, what's wrong, or as you evaluate all these options, which one is just plain better. It's it's having the ability to make a decision based on what matters most. It's the ability for a young man to come home from college and look at his parents and say, I'm in love. And his parents say, why are you in love? And the first thing he says is, because she's hot. And the right response of every parent is, so is hell. Hell. Run away! The idea of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter eleven, verse twenty-two. It says, "Listen, if that's all you're evaluating is the beauty of a woman, let me tell you something: a beautiful woman doesn't matter how just knocked down, drop dead gorgeous she may be, but that you take that beautiful woman and you add to her a lack of common sense and a lack of integrity, and her beauty is equal to an earring and a pig's nose." So moms and dads, you can use that one. (laughs) The reality is to have understanding and discernment for that young man would be to know what he needs to evaluate, not just on a surface level, but in reality. Verse 3 says, for receiving prudent instruction, prudent instruction in what is righteousness, in what is justice, in what is integrity. It means looking at things and being able to tell what is helpful, what is not helpful. Being able to look at things again and consider the end result. This is what Paul is talking about in the New Testament when he says, no, all things may be lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial for me. In other words, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's what he's talking about in this prudent and in instruction and righteous justice. Just because you can do that. No, you need to consider the grander picture, the longer game. You need to consider what is righteous, what is justice, what is marked by integrity, and think about those things and act in that way. Verse 4, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced. I inexperienced. <laughs> Got a little ahead of myself there. The inexperienced, the shrewdness. This is, um, <laughs> okay, so used with wrong motives. This is what Satan was called in the garden, crafty, but uses the right motives. This is an ability to be clever, to make observations that other people may not, to not let any point go by unnoticed. So every decision is intentional. Every comment is measured It's the ability to to see things and observe things that other people may miss. It's the ability to see and observe things and then act in a way that actually leads to a good outcome in the end. It's it's the picture of Sherlock versus Watson, right? Okay, so for you younger ones, it's the picture of Sean versus Gus. Oh, one! holy smokes, you need to watch Psych. The idea of psych, I'm just gonna tell you about psych for the next 20 minutes, so all right, we don't need, let's go. I mean, the, the psych is this: this guy, a fellow named Sean, is is he pretends to be a psychic, which actually is is hilarious. But Sean has the ability to look at things, and and the directors of the program are so kind to people like me that they highlight the things that he sees that nobody else sees. And what he does is he makes observations that other people miss. And because he makes those observations, and then he does this fancy little thing afterwards, because you remember he's pretending to be psychic, so he notices, oh, there's gum in the bottom of his shoe, so he must have been. He goes like this: I perceive that you were chewing gum at one point. It's kind of goofy and ridiculous, and none of you get it, so I'm not going to use this during second service. I'm just going to talk about Sherlock. What is wrong with you people? Me. Okay, so, but you think about Sherlock and Watson, you think there's this uh, one story that I still remember is that Sherlock and Watson were having this interaction. Watson is, is frustrated with Sherlock and, and he's frustrated with the way everything's turning out. And he goes and he sits in the chair and in his mind, he's having this conversation. And in that moment, Sherlock basically looks at him and says, I agree with everything you just said. And Watson's like, I didn't actually say anything. But because Sherlock was so shrewd and able to pay attention to some of the little details, he was able to to make a a deduction of what was going on in in Watson's mind. Um, The idea of shrewdness for the believer is this. You watching what people are saying to you, what their intent may be? Or are you allowing people to just butter you up and get you to join their side so that way you can be just as angry about things as they are on social media? Are you paying attention to the little key points and comments that are being made? Are you studying those things so that you can make sure that you're talking carefully? This is Jesus talking to his disciples and saying, you know, you'll be, be, be as, as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as the snakes. Shrewdness is part of wisdom, but so is... Knowledge, the end of verse four, knowledge and discretion to a young man. This is more than just information. This isn't just sitting down reading a book and memorizing facts. Knowledge is experiential, not just academic here. So, so it's the idea of having this, this passion, this, this life experience, this, this heart experience that's combined with the information. So, so I, I could stand here and I could spout to you information about the country of Israel, but I've never been there. So I can I can feign a passion and and get sort of excited about it. Be like, I, but but I've never been there. Be kind of like one of you telling me about that awesome show named Psych. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I'm gonna make it work eventually. So just buckle up. It's coming like seven more times now. Um, I can't pretend to have a passion in me because I've never experienced it. But there's a handful of you who are in this room who have been there, and the moment that Israel begins being spoken about, there is this exuberance that bursts from you. There is this these eyes that just like blow out of your head because you are so enthusiastic and excited and passionate because you've been there, you've experienced it. This is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, listen, I want you, who, those of you who have been through difficult times and have experienced the very comfort of God, I want you to take that very comfort and I want you to turn around and comfort other people with it because you've experienced it. You know what it's like. You know how it feels. And you can't fix their problem, but you can certainly walk alongside them and encourage them along the way. That's the knowledge. That's part of wisdom. So is discretion. So is discretion. Let a wise man listen and increase in learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. The idea is discretion, Uh, the ability to make proper decisions. There you go. Uh, Proper decisions. Discretion. That would mean I wouldn't have used the illustration about psych earlier. Discretion is I ain't going to bring it up again, so you don't have to worry about it you got to know when you lose, just punt, you know? That's okay. Discretion is the ability to make proper decisions. It's looking down the road, seeing the results, and making the best decision in that moment, knowing what the end is. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is repeated twice. One time it's in Proverbs 22, verse 3, and it says this. The prudent man, the wise man, sees evil coming, and he hides himself. But the simple pass on and is punished for it. Um, th- that's the picture of a, somebody who's wise, who's learned, who can look and be like, listen, if I do that, it's going to end badly. And so I'm not even going to start this journey. The simple one is oblivious to what's happening at the end. So they just continue on and then they face the results. Um, we used to, and, and this is terrible, but we used to have, um, uh, there was a, a person who, who was a, um, ah, what's the word I want to use? Uh, talker. Um, they never stopped and so I used to see them in the grocery store regularly, and so I had an immediate application to this verse. The wise man sees evil coming and hides himself. The simple passes on punished for it. I've actually shared that with them. They thought it was funny after about two years, and I begged for their forgiveness. But moving on, um, I'm just kidding. So, so, so the, really what this looks like, discretion looks like this. Now, now, being there at that party right now is okay. Being there an hour from now, not so much. Discretion is that that first drink was fine, the second or third or not. It, it's knowing uh, that, that, that there's a need for you to put yourself in places where it's easier to do what's right than it is to do what's wrong. See, the problem is for many of us, we're like, I'll be fine. No, you won't. Proverbs chapter 1 talks about how the, 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 the father is talking to the son saying, listen, there's going to be traps that are set for you, like the snares and nets that are set for birds, and, and you, you shouldn't even put your toe in their pathway. You need to stay away. You need to go to the neighboring county. You don't walk along with them. See the evil coming and hide yourself. That's discernment. What I find interesting is that he continues in five and six and talks about how the people who are also supposed to listen are the the wise people, the discerning people, those who already have all of this wisdom wrapped up in them. He says, you don't get to stop learning. You don't. You you don't get it to a place where you're like, I got it all figured out. I got it all. I don't need anything else. I understand that. You see, a truly wise person will behave in ways that won't behave in ways that are marked by arrogance. They'll never walk in a way that seems like, I got it all figured out. I don't need to read another book. I don't need to have another conversation. I don't need to study nothing because I got it all figured out. That's not how a wise person will behave. This even says, a wise person will do what? He will listen. You want to be marked as wise? And listen. And listen. They'll increase their attempts to learn. Does they'll ask for guidance and help? This isn't a, a thing that gets achieved when you graduate from college or you graduate with your master's degree or if you even graduate with your doctorate, it doesn't end there. In order to gain wisdom, it's an active thing that you must continue to do to the place where you're learning and listening and continuing on and on and on. That's one of the reasons why we are so um, excited about, <laughs> is this for a commercial, um, this reading plan that we're doing as a congregation together. I don't know if any of you are first in time, right away in the morning, you open up your Facebook page and you look at it, but this morning at six o'clock, we posted uh, an incredible video of a very handsome pastor, um, just kidding, I'm trying to win back after the whole psych thing, come on! Come um, on! So (laughs) I did a video, we put it up, and what we're gonna do is over the next two months, every day at six o'clock in the morning, an elder or a pastor is either going to do a video or is gonna post just a, a little thing about the proverb of the day. You really don't even need the reading guide that's in your bulletin, it should be pretty simple. It depends on what day it is. So if today's the 17th, I read Proverbs 17. It's not that difficult. But then if you jump onto our Facebook page, we're gonna have just a couple of pointers on there like this stood out to me, this stood out to me, and here's the question for you. If you read these verses, what what jumps at you? What what changes the way you think? And, and what we want you to do is engage with us in the comments. And, and let me be clear: the elders and pastors aren't the only ones who are going to answer any of your questions or any of your posts on Facebook. We we want you to respond to those things. We all have something to learn. We want to be lifelong learners. This is an opportunity for us to do it as a church family. And so every morning, 6 o'clock, you can look at it later in the day. It'll still be there, or so I'm told. Like I said, I'm not a Facebook guy. But you can still interact with it. We want you to, to interact with some of these things. So um, that's, that's all that. So what is the definition of wisdom, then? That's what we're all working through. What is the definition of wisdom? Um, here, I'll just give you this definition and then explain it a little bit. It's pretty complicated. Skill for living. Wisdom is skill for living. Now, that's a pretty general definition, though, isn't it? And, and I think that as I read that definition, that can actually be applied to anybody. It doesn't matter if you believe in God. You could be an agnostic, you could be an atheist, you could be a Buddhist, you could be a Muslim, you could be um, a Hindu, you could be any of those things, and this definition of wisdom would still be uh, appropriate for you. Wisdom would be to to have skill for living, that's what wisdom should be. But as we talk about godly wisdom in God's Word, there has to be a foundation that's different than just simple head knowledge, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is an incredibly popular proverb, and it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, godly wisdom is about the heart, and it all starts with that, the fear of the Lord. It all goes back to that. That's the, the ABCs of you having any conversation. It's the ABCs of you learning any language. It's the, the two plus two equals four of trigonometry. If you don't get this basic concept, you will never truly be wise. You can't move on until you get to this. Any intellectual achievement that is marked by skill for living, apart from the fear of God, cannot be called wisdom. It's a picture of what Romans 1 says, that, that, that in an effort to become wise, they've become fools. As you look around, we continue to try to explain everything we see without ever bringing God into the equation, and by doing that, you sound like a moron. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools will despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is that basic foundational building block that must be in place for you to be truly wise. So, so what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is how we react to who God is. Let me, let me explain that for a little bit. There's really two sides to the fear of the Lord. There's terror and there's joy. Terror and joy. I want to start with terror. Um, It doesn't take you long to look at our culture today and realize how dismissively we treat God. Um, He's the punchline of a lot of jokes. He is the target of many political rants. He is disrespected and disregarded when it comes to anything cultural that we're discussing at the time. We treat him incredibly dismissively. And and, and to our shame, many of us within this room treat him far too casually for who he is. We, as a people, tend to gravitate towards the imminence of God. The imminence of God is that right here, Right now, in this moment, with me. But we do it to the exclusion of the transcendence of God. Which is the Almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, jealous, just God. We, we, we tend to treat him like the, the big man upstairs. a God we bring down to our level. And the fear of the Lord, this first step in the fear of the Lord, the terror side of the fear of the Lord, we must wrestle with this truth. The sun is 92 million miles away from us. It will burn your skin, and if you stare at it, it'll burn your eyes out. And yet we expect to casually stroll into the presence of its creator. We fear the sun more than we do God. Any of you out in the sun in the past couple of days in this nice refreshing weather we've been having? Be my guess that there was some sunscreen applied. And yet, we just treat the God who spoke that son into being as an afterthought. We need to remember that God is so powerful that he spoke into nothing and something responded. We need to remember that God created everything that we are overwhelmed by in awe as we watch the sun rise, the sunset, as we watch the waterfalls, as we see the mountain ranges, all of those things that overwhelm us, he created with a word. The entire universe fits within the span of his hand. And yet we'll put on a t-shirt that says, God's Jim." Be like Samson. We treat the God of the universe far too casually. It's the picture of Job, chapter 38 up to 41, where God begins to respond to Job, and if you want to get put in your place for a few minutes, just sit down with your Bible open and read those few chapters, Job chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, and listen to the voice of God who is speaking to his servant Job saying, so big boy, you think you're going to respond to me? Let me ask you a few questions. Where were you when I created all of this? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Are you the father of rain? Do do the lightning bolts report to you before they go out to do what I've sent them to do? Did you create these massive creatures so you think you can speak to me? Where were you? And the sad part is that is the God who we are living in open rebellion against. And 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 okay, even if you're not in open and blatant rebellion against God, each breath that you take that is not submitted to him is an affront to his glory. Because this is all about him. Not about you. Where were you? Every single one of us is born a sinner. Every single one of us was going our own way. We're dismissive of the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, jealous, and holy God. We just straight up dismiss him out of hand. And he's made it abundantly clear in his word. Because he is just, he cannot allow sin to continue. He must punish sin. So all of the strength and fury and wrath of an omniscient God, of an omnipotent God, of an omnipresent God, of a jealous God, of a holy God, all of the fury and wrath that is in him will be poured out on sin. And yet we rock t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Why would God be so furious with sin? Because when he created us, he created us to enjoy life without sin. And yet sin and rebellion and brokenness has entered into his creation and we see it every day. We see it in our own lives even if we're not around other people. But as you look around, you see that brokenness and you see how sin has screwed everything up and is messing with his created ones and he is furious about it. Just like, just like I would be. If you were to mess with my girl and my kids too, but I'm just going to talk about my girl. You mess with my girl and I am going to be furious, but the fury of a middle-aged, um, bodybuilder like myself, the, the fury of, of this thing doesn't even register when you compare it to the fury and the wrath of God for the ones over the ones he created. The wrath and fury of a God who breathed stars into existence that are thousands of times bigger than our sun. The fear of the Lord is, is rightly terror. He's a big, big God. who have I, I've offended him from day one. But it doesn't end there. Because God makes a way for me to be at peace with him. That that verse in Romans has struck my heart. He's not just a just God who's going to bring about judgment for sin. He's also the one who justifies. He's not just sitting on his throne looking to condemn people to death. He's sitting on his throne. He looked down and he saw us wandering on our own. He did something about it. He showed up. Think about this. The God who is going to pour out his wrath on sin has made a substitute available so we could escape that wrath. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't just forget about it. He deals with it, and he deals with it on Jesus. So so there's your hope. That's your hope today. The good news is that even though there is Incredible bad news. We have a full hope that our relationship with God can be restored because of what Jesus did. But it's not universally applied to everybody just because Jesus did it. Because you know what happens? God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And many of us still turn our back on him. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is the son of God. He's risen from the dead, and He took your place on that cross, then you'll be saved. And for those who have done that, we see the opposite side of that fear. There is this joyful awe. It's what we sing about, isn't it? That's what we sang about this morning. There was this great chasm between us and God, there was this mountain we could never make our way up and climb. So so those of us who are in Jesus, we have called on him in the very darkest of times and Jesus brings us a living hope. Why? Because God stepped down from heaven, he took upon himself the form of a servant, he took my sin, but he didn't just stop by taking my sin, he took my shame and he finished the work of atonement on the cross and I am forgiven. (laughs) In that cross, you see both the terror of God as he pours out his wrath on sin you see the joyful awe as we hear the lovingly merciful invitation to come near to him. And, and, and the fear of the Lord isn't just one or, it's both. And it's both at the same time. I've shared this before, but this is, this is the picture. The picture is, I, okay, so I'll make it personal. I am, that terrified is probably the wrong word. I don't like heights a whole lot, I'm, I'm not a big fan. And there's this place that we used to go to all the time when Stephanie and I were, were dating and when we were um, young married and, and it was up towards her parents' house in the, north of the Poconos there and, um, and looked over the Susquehanna River. But it was this huge cliff. It's called Wailusing Rock. It's way up there. But part of the fun of it is you get to go up to it and be like, okay, there's the edge of it. And as you get right here, the cliff actually ducks underneath you. So when you're looking, you're not seeing anything except for a really painful way to go. There's this thing, though. To be on that edge is like, Whoa. But to be on that edge is like, oh, nope. And, and so there was this frank shuffle that many of us adopted, where you would be like, okay, here we go. awesome (laughs) because there's such terror knowing what could happen but such sadness if I don't get as close as I can to drink in all the joy that's there that's the fear of the Lord there's such terror in knowing what could have been apart from Christ but there's such awe in wanting to draw near to him, in running to him and and enjoying him. And that's to continue to push us to draw near to him, to drink fully from his cup of loving kindness and mercy, knowing that in Jesus it's finished and I want all of that. The very source of wisdom, the very source of the, the skill to live well is found in a proper response to who God is you know our, what our response really should be? I need you. I need you. I'm a... <laughs> it's great when I got you originally, but I don't stop needing you. I need more of you. The right reaction to who God is, is is being terrified knowing what could have happened and yet being filled with so filled full with joyful awe that you are so entangled in his legs as you grab on with everything you have that nothing is going to pull you from him because you're confessing over and over, I need you, I need more of you. I want all of you. I want every piece of it. I don't want to let anything go. And that's wisdom. Wisdom. the most remedial student among us can be the wisest among us. Because it ain't about division. It ain't about fractions. It ain't about good grammar. It's about pursuing him. May that be our pursuit. Let's pray together. <laughs> Lord, we're... Um, Reminded over and over again of how broken we are, how um, how unwise we are because of some of the choices we make. Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you that you came to us because we could never come to you. Our sin would keep us so far divided from you, but you came to us and made a way, so thank you. Lord, as we look at wisdom over the next few weeks, I pray that we wouldn't look any further than the wisdom that you promise us if we embrace and accept Jesus Christ. As we pursue you, God, I pray we wouldn't be distracted by anything else, but instead, Father, that our whole being would be wrapped up in running after you, because we need you. Thank you for loving us. (laughs) Thanks for Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.